Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, race fans, to the next episode of the Canoe Race World Podcast. It's your co-host, Bill Mahaffey, and I'm joined here in the studio with the wonderful Rebecca Davis. Rebecca, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so excited. It's uh, safari night here on the podcast. So, you know, Bill and I both are like avid fans. So this is probably one of our pod- favorite podcasts of the year. So, totally geeking out at this exact moment. We have... Tommy and John Yonley on tonight, and they're probably like, who are these crazy people that stalk us from a thousand plus miles away? Gentlemen, thank you for coming on tonight. How are you doing? Very good. Doing great. Good, good. Well, congratulations on your win. Um, Rebecca, do you have the results in front of you by chance? I know they're a little hard to find, but let's get a quick rundown before we get into hearing about these two's uh, race. Yeah, so I'm... The water safari is 260 miles. It has a cutoff time of 100 hours. So, um, but it's a very well attended race. I think around 130 or 140 boats started. And our top five finishers were Tommy and John Yonley in first place, followed by a sixth man that was Andrew Condy, Brian Jones, Gaston Jones, Clay Wyatt, William Russell, and Dodd Yeager. Uh, third place was another sixth man, uh, David Ernest, James Lowe, Jason Cade, Nathan Tart, Ryan Martinez, and Sean Boyette. Followed by the third sixth man and fourth overall, uh, oh man, names, <laughs> Cyril Deruma, Gabe Harzma, Jeff Woodsey, Jonathan Zeke, Rebecca Feaster, and West Hansen. And in fifth place, rounding out our top five and first uh, all-women's crew, Cecily Boogie, Lydia Heelscamp, and Morgan Kohut. Right on, right on. We'll have to, uh, you know, we may have to record a whole other episode running down all the different categories and brackets and stuff like that, because that is one of the really cool things about the safari is that you, you guys race a multitude of boats down there. Um, real quick, before we get into prelim and the actual safari itself, you guys won on a ski, man, on a tandem ski. Walk us through that decision. Jonathan really wanted to do the ski. We both paddle a lot of surf ski. And about uh, how many years ago was it that you bought one? Like 2016, I wanted to test it out and try it. And we tried it the first time uh, in 2017. Uh, had some medical issues in the family and weren't really able to rig it up uh, until like 3 a.m. the night before the race, so there was some issues there, but we knew we could do better, and um, knew there was a risk with shallow water, but that there is a reward in the bay, so that was kind of the overall, the safari conditions, we felt like the surf ski was comfortable enough and had enough of a bay advantage if there was a bay that it was worth it. Yeah, so you guys went with the ski. Um, was there anything special with the layup on the ski at all, or was it just a standard build stellar? So there was a special a special layup. Uh, Tommy and I worked with the owner of Stellar, and I think my brother might have dropped off for just a second. He's on. He's having some technical difficulty, but um, basically 
we wanted a river worthy surski and so we added some carbon layers took out all the s glass from the deck and made it pure carbon kevlar weave and then an extra layer of carbon on the bottom um so it was a beefier version of their adventure boat but yet it was still um actually i think it was about half a pound lighter than the original adventure layup that they offered all the pictures i the seen you guys double bladed the whole way um did you did you decide to do that the whole way or were you able to single blade some later or how, how'd that work out yeah no we we had planned on switching to single blades the whole time um at at some point but we just were comfortable for the most part on the first day with with our double blades so i think we switched for 20 minutes on the first day maybe 30 minutes and then on the second day we went to doubles a little bit more often and maybe spent a couple of hours on on double blades before the bay especially we wanted to rest um, so that we were prepared to go much harder on doubles in the bay Walk us through for for those of us that aren't aware. And I got about a 18 minute crash course in double blading when I was down there for the night race last year. Walk us through the difference between the the doubles and the singles from a technique and like a muscular like like the why on it. You know, I think when you get better on double blades, and maybe this is just my own personal experience, but it starts feeling more like a single blade, in that um, you can relax certain muscles as you want to and it doesn't it's not as convoluted as when you first start double blading a lot more off uh, a lot more and i think the main the main difference is the leverage that you can get from a double blade there's there's a little bit more leverage involved maybe a little bit more uh, leg drive that could be involved and um that's really it's a lot of the same muscles but just maybe a maybe a difference in what muscles you're using at what time. I mean, my, my brother mentioned this earlier and we do spend, he spends a lot more time in a surf ski. I think we both spend more time in, in kayaks together. And so uh, the stroke rate, it seems like for, especially for people in the ensemble on single blades is a lot higher than we're comfortable with. And maybe that's just because of a technique thing that we're working through. But it's easier to stay at a higher tempo for us on double blades because we spend a lot of time on narrowing down the double blades that we use for ultra distance and figuring out exactly what size works for the two of us. And we we basically determine that a slightly like 640 square centimeters blade works very well for him, whereas a 600 square centimeters works well for me behind him because he's just a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, and it feels like we match each other well with him having a slightly bigger paddle. And we spend a lot of time figuring that out and dialing it in. So I have a question. Do you guys switch positions or does one of you stay in the front and one of you stay in the back the whole time? We would like to switch positions, um, but the the trim of the tandem Sursky kind of dictates that Tommy has to stay in the front. Who runs the rudder? Tommy. Okay. Tommy, yeah. In the past, I've I've steered with us um, with just a different boat setup, but the pedals are on in the front. Yeah, some of the skis have the pedals in both seats. That's nicer. But this particular yeah. one, particular one, just has 
the pedals in the front. So going into the safari, uh, you guys do a pre- preliminary race, which we recapped, of, I don't know, probably a month or two ago. So you can check back for that episode if you missed it. Uh, but I believe you guys finished third in that race, which put you in a good, I think that's front row starting position in safari. But um, I wouldn't say that put you as the favorites to win. No, no. So that, that prelim race shows, like, flat-out speed differences, and it shows it for three and a half hours or however long, however long, three, four hours. But, you know, the safari is a little bit different. You, usually, if you've got an enormous gap in the prelim, it's kind of unreasonable to think you're going to do better in the safari. But a solo or a tandem will usually do a little better than the prelim indicates on the early part of the safari just because there's so much twisty, you know, tight corners and things like that and portages. So we we expected to be, based on the prelim result, I, I think we expected that we would not quite be able to keep up with them but we were hoping, you know, hoping against hope that we might be able to stay with with them on a wake, if especially at higher water levels. But then the uh, rain never came, and the river just kept basically dropping. And I I didn't have a very good I, I didn't think we had good odds of you know being able to stay with them with that low of a water level because as Jonathan mentioned earlier the the surf ski that we have is not great in shallow water. So, uh, or more specifically, it's it's not great in shallow water unless you're going above eight miles an hour, which to, to get to that kind of speed, you need current, you know. But the, the impetus for the ski is obviously an advantage in the bay. And I like the comfort of a surf ski. I, a lot of people who haven't done it maybe don't realize, but it's a very nice feeling to be able to tip over anytime and it's no big deal. You just climb back in. And that takes some pressure off, you know, just everything you do. You're not worried about tipping over. I think we almost tipped over one time during the race, but I don't think we actually did. Did you guys make it all the way from start to finish without going for the the Tipperunski? No, we did not tip over on one of the jams. I fell in in one of the jams, but yeah, Jonathan fell in. I mean, we both fell in during jams, but the the one that I'm talking about was where the boat almost turned upside down, you know, kind of while in a jam, you know, trying to get through it. Trying to portage the boat and other things. Yeah. yeah, you're kind of in and out, and and uh, you know kind of chaotic fatigued but, and yeah well, walk us through your race kind of from uh like start to finish so the race starts on spring lake right do i have the lake name right right um yeah uh for people who haven't seen it you know there's just rows and rows of boats starting out usually there's like how many rows are there? there's got to be more than 20 rows yeah and, it, and it's pristine beautiful you can drink the water and it's only we're the only people allowed other than people on being escorted by uh to like tour guides so it's a really special start line and it is crowded and then this year they had changed the first portage 
um, to be more, it was, they closed off the dam portion basically. So there's only one way to go. And so there was just a lot of heavy traffic and, and uh, getting out in front and being ahead by a little bit was very nice, just behind the first place boat and tucked in uh, behind them. Yeah, so we had a, a very clean start, no issues, did the portage, no problem. Technically, we were in first place for a few minutes, right? Because yeah. uh, Vista. We got to Rio Vista, which is a portage for the six-man boats, but we can run it. And so we were in front for the first, I guess, hour of the race. And then uh, Gaston, William Russell's boat, Andrew Cotty, those guys caught us a little over an hour into the race and passed us after Old Mill Rapid, I think. Yeah, yeah. We could, hear, we could hear them coming, but they... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think they were holding back somewhat too, just because there was some before Old Mill, there was some cluttered spots that they didn't. I'm glad they didn't run into us. It was very nice. Yeah, they were trying to have a good place to pass, but obviously they were quite a bit faster, and they they zipped by, and we didn't really even put in an effort to try to stay on them since it seemed like it wasn't going to happen at that point. Yeah, it wasn't reasonable pace. Yeah. So then we were by ourselves for quite a while. When did Nate pass us? Was that before Staples? Yeah, they did. They did pass us before Staples. Oh but yeah, yeah. They caught. We rode. We rode kind of on their wake in in Staples Lake. Yeah. This is two hours into the race, and uh, we rode their wake for a bit. Did the portage for Staples Dam. And uh, they were, they would have been behind us after that portage, surely. And then they must yeah. have passed us shortly thereafter, you know, once once we got going in the river for a while. And that and was exciting because they would, they would do a little bit of a slingshot and they would actually make contact with the first place boat. So it was like we have this weird connection with the first place boat through the the Nate Tart six-man team. It was really interesting. Anyway, they they were they were they left us, but we could see up ahead. You know, they're they're leaving at a kind of a slow pace, and then uh, it wasn't too long. We could see both on a long straightaway. We could see both the first and second six mans in front of us. Right around Fentress, that was like three 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 and a half hours into the race. We started, you know, it was just kind of... There's a lot of technical there was some, uh, Yeah, there's some back and forth. We had lost some time, gained a little time. I don't understand what happened before Luling Dam. So the water gets deep before Luling Dam, and this is 49 miles in. So you're six and a half hours from the start line. And, and it was almost like they just didn't want to pull or they didn't want us to be on their wash, so they stopped paddling. And so we had no choice but to leave... It was just like weird, and we caught the first place six man team. So that, I, 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 I think that they were just having some sort of little, you know, issues where somebody's going down to work on something or take yeah, pills or eat or something, and then somebody else does it next. And it seems to us like they're just kind of stopping, but yeah, yeah. But anyway, we just kind of got a little bit overzealous, I in retrospect, 
And we ended up catching up to the first place six man, Gaston, Condi, William Russell's group, and uh, rode with them for a little bit. So it ended up eight out Palmetto is about eight, eight and a half hours into the race, right? Yep, 60 miles. And, and we were within sight of first place at that point. We were just right behind them. And it's crazy. So we're we're 60 miles in, eight hours, and you can still see the first place boat. Now, that upper stretch, though, for, for the listeners, if I'm understanding the river correct, there's a lot of technical there, a lot of twisty. Like, that's not a great place to have a six-man versus a, a two-person ski from the twisty, windy aspect. Right. Yeah, so it's a li- th- there was definitely a lot of, uh, you know, there's little places here and there that are favorable for us. Okay. Okay. Um, but at the same time, we're working hard to, to gain that favor. Uh, so absolutely. Know, and uh, it, Gaston made the comment during the race that we were quote made it look easy when we were with them, but you know in reality we're we're working we're at a battling our pace. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. We're at a, a, a pace that we can do, but I was, you know, constantly thinking in my mind that we're overdoing it a little bit. Oh, and um, I have no, I like, I am not done the safari. I don't know if I'll ever do the safari, but one thing I've raced on team boats that are four or six man. And the advantage you have there is if someone's having a little bit of a bad time, you've got three or four or five other people that kind of can carry you. When you're in a two-man boat, if one of you goes down, it usually just means the other guy is going to go down shortly after, right? <laughs> like, because yeah. you, you yeah. can't be Superman yeah. in, a, in a double. <laughs> no. No. You can do that for, like, 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So, we're at we're at Palmetto. Um I guess keep going, run us through the races as much as you can remember. I can't believe you can remember this much, because if I did this thing, I'd be like, I'm not even sure what the heck just happened. Well, I just remember because we came into the water handoff and the other, the six-man team was just right there. I mean, we were literally almost overlapping their boat when we did our water handoff there. So Palmetto, eight hours in, we were there, but we hadn't even stopped a single blade once. We were doing... 100% 100% double blading, whereas that team would have been doing probably, you know, two and a half hours on doubles, maybe 45 minutes on singles or half an hour at least. At least they're getting some some breaks in. Um, we, did, so, we did one 20-minute session. Maybe it was 30 minutes after Luling uh, Dan. But. Yeah, I don't, I don't even think that was 15. It might, might have been 15 minutes. Not very you, long. You may have been hallucinating, John. It, it may true. not have actually happened. Uh, it seemed like too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, the problem is you can tell it's slower. And, you know, when you're just struggling to try to keep contact, you know, any little... We, we were, I think, running a very, very efficient race where, you know, we, we're really just trying to keep contact and maybe it was not the best strategy because you know we got overcooked well you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to race your best you know we took some risk on that 
But the, wow. the reward was the the other six man team was very consistent, and we could hear the crowd cheering for him behind us. And so when we got the stretch between Palmetto and Gonzales is a is a slog. Uh, and especially within a couple miles of Gonzales Dam, there's a lot of stagnant water, but it does get deeper. And so we were able to stay ahead of the second place six-man team and get to the portage first. And so we were able to get our boat stuff sorted out and then have a team right there to paddle with for the first night. Because right around Gonzales, it starts getting dark. It's it's 9 p.m. You've paddled 85 miles. You're not feeling super great. So it's not likely that you're just going to get left unless you're not feeling very good at all yeah gonzalez is right near the confluence right where the san marcus goes into the quad right yeah so the the good thing is we that that pushing did put us in a position where we were with the second place six-man team and over time it became they, they put some you know kind of minor moves on to try to test us i think was my impression and they figured out pretty you know over time they figured out that we were not leaving <laughs> this that that had to be that had to be a, a heck of a confidence builder right like yeah so i've had this happen in a lot of races when you're with somebody who's obviously got some more top speed usually this is a tandem and i'm solo but but you know, when they do a move and it's really hard and you can kind of just barely stay with them. And then later, you know, they kind of do another move and it's easier. That, that, that It's like when it turns around and, and you can feel it getting easier and then you know, you know, how things are probably going to play out in your favor in the long run. It's, you just need to, you need it to be getting the trend to get easier. And that, that, that was my impression, you know, after Gonzalez, we're getting to ride together with another boat, which is great at night. And I was really happy uh, to be with those guys. I, uh, I found out later that, uh, so it's 122 miles to Hoheim. And it's Gonzalez to Hoheim is a very long stretch. We, have, we do have a halfway spot, which is very fortunate. Not very many teams get that. Um, they did. But we were within five minutes, a little bit less than five minutes at Hoheim. So with the first place team, second place team, and the third place team within that spread. Wow, that's a that's a. So we're over 100 miles in, and we're five minutes separate the first three boats. That's that's a tight race. And it made it yeah. so fascinating to watch too, because like so. I, watching safaris not nearly as hard, but you know, like we're constantly like keeping track through the night and trying to follow you guys. And when it's that tight, like I can't sleep. So it's like, like the whole second day, and like I just need them to finish before midnight so I can go to bed. <laughs> That's how we feel too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so you're we're yeah we're a long way from the end. Yeah, so you're like halfway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're five minutes behind at Hoheim, so that's like, uh, how far is that? 16, 17 hours in. But the second day was kind of a disaster. Um, Basically, the first place team, uh, Gaston, Andrew Condi, those guys stayed perfectly steady. 
and we were falling apart simultaneously with the the next six man boat also kind of gradually crumbling. That's my impression. Um, yeah, no, it, I I don't know what was wrong with me. I I felt hot on the inside. There was some sickness going around before I started. So I have no idea, but it was just excruciatingly hot. And Tommy kept complimenting me on how hard I felt like I was pulling, but I really felt like I was just keeping in time. So we were both basically in the same status of we're trying to be as efficient as possible, but we're not feeling well. We're not doing well. Yeah, so we were basically paddling as doing everything we could, and it was just really enough to stay with that uh, six-man. And mm -hmm. But they're drifting backwards you know, compared to first place. And we're obviously, after Gonzalez, we started losing a lot of time. Or after uh, Hohan, yeah. yeah. Ap sorry, sorry, after Hohan. Uh, well, I mean, Gonzalez, Soheim, we're losing like one minute an hour. And then after Hoheim, there were a lot of times when we were losing about three minutes in an hour. Yeah. You know, a lot of hours where we lost three minutes an hour. I kept yeah. trying to encourage the multi-man next to us that we needed to curb the bleeding, but that was <laughs> only to, to try and help them so that we could ride their wash. But <laughs> yeah. Come on, you guys, go. You got to go, guys. Yeah, go. Need to go this bleeding. Well, it's, the wash riding thing is weird because if you're not used to this situation, it's hard to explain, but these six-man boats, are basically designed such that they pop up very well in shallow water okay and unfortunately our ski has a bunch of rockers so it's kind of like in when we get shallow water which is like a large fraction of the race at this water level you know they their boat just shoots forward and we shoot backward and there's no wake to help us and yeah. Basically, when we get to a deep pool where the current slows down, the water gets deeper, that's when we get a ride. So we're having this kind of cycle of really hard times when we're in the shallows and we're just going, doing everything we can just to keep contact. And then we'll, you know, looking forward to hopefully we get to a pool where we get some deep water, then we can get a rest. Uh, when there's actually wake but there's not wake for us to ride all the time it's like a yeah. fourth of the time there's rideable wake and then three quarters of the time we're we're kind of struggling but at least we're with with them to you know to kind of dictate the pace we should be at because if we if we weren't with them i think we would have lost a lot more time that makes perfect sense i mean just having that contact is so important in a race right like if you can keep that contact then you're you're in it you know yeah. <laughs> like it might but be it, hard but you're in it it's sad when it's just basically trying to maintain contact between puddles but um we did that for oh, 60 probably 60 miles in victoria around victoria it was at its hottest and that's when i asked tommy to lay in the river for a little bit just to dunk my head and then get back in and i at that moment, I felt like my core temperature finally dropped a little bit. I think that was probably around 3 or 4 p.m. When you say it was day. at the hottest, what, what kind of temperatures are we talking? I mean, it, it, like 97, 97 degrees maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, maybe. 
it's not that hot, but you know, not being used to it, and then and there was no clouds at all. So it's really the sun hitting you, you know, combined with the temperature, combined with everything, and and you also have to factor in there's some weird uh, like dehydration related stuff going on that I don't fully understand, but basically it's pretty common that you get enough dehydration where you stop sweating entirely. You know, you're drinking normally on the first day. It cools off on the first night. And it's, it, when it cools down, you stop sweating. And you can tell this by, if you take a sip of water, you know, you'll need to pee right away. And people think that it, that's just low electrolytes, but, and it can be, obviously, if you're low on electrolytes, it can cause that too. But, you know, I'm, I've, done this a bunch of times i'm taking a ton of electrolytes more than most people can imagine my ankles swell up a little bit after the race i'm good on i'm good on electrolytes but the second day i was not sweating i had zero sweat essentially and i couldn't even drink hardly anything you know i've got a full jug of water i take a few sips here and there and I think that may have been a contributor. I just, I felt like I was cooking from the inside out. <laughs> it was weird. But I, even ice packs didn't feel cold anymore. So once I got in the river, I felt like it really did lower my temperature. The second place six man team passed us and made a move and tried to break us at that point. Um, and, but we were able to paddle pretty well after that. And so they didn't really gain any time. And we ended up passing them. Uh, well, hold on. They did gain time. So yeah, not much. They were, they were put in a pretty heavy move. They got, they got out of sight, but I was, I was okay with it because I, I thought, you know, we're already past Victoria. And at that point, there, there's only one factor. I, well, assuming things go as, as you'd normally expect, we're, we're just slogging through to get to the bay now. Yeah, we've okay. got the log jams, and... You've got 60 miles to go at Victoria, right? Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. 65. Yeah, ish. New, yep. new finish line, I ish. guess. Ish. We love ish. It's okay. Ish. Yeah. 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 So granted, you can lose a lot of time in the log jams. I don't... I don't... I haven't lost time in the log jams in many, many... I, I can't remember losing time in the log jams. So that that's not really, really in my mind. We're already thinking about the bay at that point and what you don't want to do or what I don't want to do is try to at that point to start really picking up a lot of speed putting out a lot of energy before we get to the bay I'm already thinking starting to conserve a little bit and I felt terrible anyway so when you when you talk about conserving energy are you thinking or are you actually on the are you on the singles at this point like trying to to build up the, the doubles for the Bay or we're starting to think about it. I was starting to think about it. That okay. Point. So we definitely are starting to do more singling and the, uh, the, the Jason Cade's boat, Nate Tart, those guys, obviously they put a move on. At, well, we pulled over it. John should mention in addition to dunking in the water, we also made a, a bathroom stop there and they rolled by us with a pretty uh, graphic display. They did. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's sorry, awesome. Sorry I, about that. Sorry I, about I, that, guys. But I, that's just how I it think, goes sometimes. 
I think we've all been there. That's the uh, yeah. the the aqua dump from time to time. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, so they they got probably a minute ahead just from that by the time we got back in the water, and uh, we were not we didn't a lot of times when I get a little gap behind like that I will commit and close it real quick because you know you want to get right back there. And at that point, I just didn't feel the need. So we just kind of stayed about that distance back. And then they switched to doubles and started putting time. And it was the heat of the day. It was a weird time to make a a serious move. Well, no, I mean, it's a good time. If you've got the if you've got the stones to do it, then, you know, go for it. I've I've seen people pull it off successfully in the heat of the day because your other team probably doesn't want to work. Yeah. And they, and they, so they were tactically made a good move, except fast forward an hour and a half or so later, we come up and they're pulled over on the side and they're, you know, somebody had gone down pretty, pretty badly. I don't know exactly what happened, but they were pulled over to shore. So we, we, you know, asked if they're okay, they're fine. So we kept going, and they obviously t- turned around pretty quick after we left. But we were out of sight of them ahead now, and then, then on single blades, yeah, 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 on single blades. So, and that was the first time when we really started getting to spend some time on single blades. Really, was that stretch uh, before Dupont? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kept trying to get Tommy to steer into the shade, even though it was a little bit wasteful sometimes, but it was so hot. I, I'm not willing to go like out of the way to hit shade, you know, but but sometimes we, we push the limits of what's reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you get down to the log jams and I know watching yeah. on the tracker, it's super interesting to see the different lines people take. Um, did you... Like, were you able to scout it fairly close before the race? And did it stay the same because you didn't have rain? Um, So you felt good about where you went? I felt good about it, but I did. Well, okay, there were a few unexpected jams that very few people knew about and we didn't know about. And frankly, you know, I, I know some people who knew about the jams and I feel like they should have told me, you know. I, I, oh, I, we're I, calling I, them out. We're calling them out. I hope I'm they listen to this. They should have told me. I would have appreciated it, but they didn't. So then I felt a little bit uh, unhappy about that. But then after we got through there, right, I've got a bunch of friends that I could have, you know, put the word back further back in the race. And guess what I did? I decided, wouldn't it be better if they got that adventure for themselves? I said those jams were not fun. I made a comment. Oh, no. It's it's best to share the adventure with everybody, right? It's an adventure race. Why rob them of that experience? Yeah. We we definitely lost a little time, but we did. We figured it out. We rallied a little bit, so it worked out. It was fine. It felt kind of like, you know, in Star Wars, when uh, they go into the garbage chute, Princess Leia and Luke, and they're all swimming in that stuff, and you know, <laughs> that, the space is getting more and more confined. 
Yeah, it was one of those jams where this is the one that that we hadn't seen, or they're one of the few that we hadn't seen, where I kind of fell off the log and I go, you know, just into that water with all of the the little particle things, and all the way. I never even touched bottom. I went down complete under. I probably went down eight feet, didn't touch bottom. It's like the only deep spot in the whole freaking river, and it's under this log. But anyway, come back up, and we just have all this little log jam crap in the boat. I just don't like it. But uh, anyway, (laughs) but everybody else got the adventure, too. So once you get through the log jams, you're you're pretty close to the bay. I mean, it's me. I don't know. It can't be very far at all. And then the bay is a huge like turning point in the race but it's actually mileage wise it's like under five miles isn't it well i think total it's got to be more than that it's about six something but it's only because of the new finish line yeah the new finish line adds a little bit depending on how you go um so yeah it's not that long of a distance but you know, given there was a wind forecast that was supposed to be like 13 miles an hour, which is, doesn't sound like it's going to be enough. Because we knew our only chance is really if those guys have a very, very bad time in the bay. And, and I didn't think I didn't I didn't really think 13 miles an hour was enough. But it seemed like when we got out, you can't really trust even the the real-time wind forecasts uh, or the, the data, because sometimes you can be a, a few miles away from the weather station. And it's a little different there. When we got out there, it seemed big enough where I thought this could, this could be enough. But we were also told that they had and, oh, yeah. some boat damage to their snaps. Yeah. So the spray covers, if you don't know, these are canoes that have spray covers over them, and the spray covers are held on by snaps. And we got the intel that they had knocked three snaps off altogether. On the right side of the boat. On the right, yes, on the right side, which is the side where the waves come from. So that, that was kind of encouraging. And then we get out there, the waves were decently big, you know, maybe... What would you say the biggest waves were probably like three feet? I would. Yeah, say. yeah. When they would slap together and combine and peak, yeah. Like biggest, really not much of that three feet. But but and another thing, the wind was at a little bit different of an angle, so that most of the bay, uh, you ended up. Well, okay, you have the first section of the bay where it's just a headwind, and then when you turn towards the finish line then it's 45 degrees angle all the time. It's three foot waves at a 45 degree angle, basically, which for a six man is kind of challenging. Well, it's a lot of broadside on a six man, right? Yeah. 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 It's a lot of broadside because those boats are long enough where you're in more than one wave at a time. Right. And if they're good in shallow water, typically they're, at least in my experience, they're not always the best in, uh, more turbulent water. I don't know if the six mans are like that, but um, at least in our marathon boats, if you have one that's really good and and super shallow, usually you get bounced a little bit more in the waves. Um, 
but yeah well these six-man boats have a a nice flat spot right and so they're stable in terms of you know normal river like like primary primary stability good primary stability but when you're in waves primary stability is not really your friend right because when 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 a wave's coming from the side your primary stability wants the boat to turn with the waves. I've always found that the tip of your boats do well uh, in and, the bay. You know. And you guys are doing this at night too, right? So if anyone didn't watch the finished videos, it's like, I don't know, is it 11 o'clock at night or something central time? Um, anyway, it was yeah. very yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah, I think we finished around one in the morning or something. And uh, yeah, so we were out there after midnight. Like 11 o'clock going in for, for them and, and um, yeah, but obviously very dark, but also um, with the wind directions that we were dealing with, it was different and there was no shelter behind Swan Point. So it was a, pretty much a constant headwind if they tried to hug the, the, the normal old finish line shore. So it was a, it was a very favorable wind direction for us favorable in the sense of making it more difficult for a six man for the six man right right sometimes you're Uh, you're fortunate someone else is suffering and that's that's how we win baby yeah Yeah. Yeah. we started the bay with them being an hour and a half ahead and a normal bay time this is an hour and a half at the wood the wooden bridge the last that's not an official checkpoint but it's the last place where you see people so we got a time there of an hour and a half. Normally, it takes you less than an hour and a half from there to get to the finish line. But they told us that they had indications on the spot tracker data, which is sometimes questionable. But they thought they may have already tipped over in the bay. That's what they told us. So, you know, I I thought at that point maybe we had a 50-50 shot, you know, once we were out there and saw the waves are pretty good. And we were just trucking along. Well, we, I, I, I skipped the rudder incident. So getting the, getting the boat ready, I had noticed in the log jams, or prior to, prior to getting to the wooden bridge, in the log jams, the rudder was not steering as well as I expected it should. I noticed the steering was getting sloppy. And I thought maybe the bungee had loosened or something. It, when we pulled over at this last uh, last bridge before the bay, the I went over to tighten the bungee, and the whole rudder assembly came off the boat. Oh and, snap! Yeah. And uh, John, what were you thinking when you saw that? Because you, I don't even know. Did, did you actually see it when it came off in my hand? Oh yeah, yeah. I just said, put it back in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, feel, so, I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, I just, I legitimately thought this is going to be fine. You just got to stick that sucker back in there, and we're going to go. Well, so the, the it didn't look good, but. No, it doesn't look So there's a pin that's supposed to be rotated. Yeah. That if it's the rotation's correct, then it holds the rudder in. But if you flip it backwards, you can pull it out. That's the idea. But the nut had loosened internal to my rudder housing thing, and, and it had turned around so that it was coming out in the wrong direction. So I endeavored to get that pin turned 
back around the correct way, but it's loose. So any, you know, jostling in it could potentially flip back around and the rudder could potentially come out. So we didn't know whether we were going to have rudder uh, or not, but Sandy pointed Which... out if you just, just keep pressure on the pedals, that'll probably hold it in. Sandy took charge and made me made well made sure Tommy knew to keep the the pedals. I think Tommy, you probably would have figured that out, but yeah, yeah. also made me take my seat pads out, which I was very sore about. <laughs> well, what's yeah? What's the reasoning for that? Well, for stability, if you need to do long sweeps oh. and and steer with with having to reach back, you know, she's like. Okay. You just, get the boat as stable as possible but if you do that it changes your seating position and so you're 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 used to paddling in this kind of downhill feeling position with the pads and now i'm paddling in an uphill battle it was just frustrating but that's okay well i was concerned also because uh we have self-bailers in that boat and you need to have a certain speed to be able to self-bail and it's always sketchy whether you'll have enough speed in, in the bay to have, get those self-bailers to work. So I was worried the boat would be full of water and we'd be more tippy. And Jonathan's bailer had been not working very well. And uh, I had theorized that little flap that's on there was kind of getting stuck and not wanting to open. But anyway, so... I was worried about stability, and I was like, just take the pads out. Well, we, we left one pad in each, but take the most of the pads out just to guarantee perfect stability. And it is, it's so much less comfortable. I've got such a wonderful feet pad setup, and then you go from that to I, – I understand why you're complaining, but, <laughs> you know – I'll complain for you too because I that's the my biggest complaint about the surf skis is like why am I sitting back I know it's like probably great for surfing and like actually being on a real wave but I'm living in Michigan paddling on a pond of a lake and I'm like why am I sitting backwards <laughs> yeah, yeah you want to be angled forward in an aggressive nice paddling posture where your core isn't constantly fighting just to stay upright right so, but it's also just the comfort, you know, like you've paddled 260 miles. You don't want to have five miles of just absolute hard bottom boat on, but it, you know, it's the little things. And, um, it, it was shocking how uncomfortable it was going from like four layers of padding to one layer. It, it was shocking, but we've, we've had this happen before. We know I knew, I knew what we we're getting into, but I just didn't want any risk. Uh, you know, cause in 45 degree waves when you're tired and we had, I had noticed on the log jams that my balance wasn't as good as usual as evidenced by me falling off the log into the smarmy jam material. Um, so I just wanted to be a hundred percent on stability. Yeah. So, uh, but but we were so, so stable. There was no, I think we had a grand total of one brace stroke, and that was just because the wave came over my Yeah, we had a, yeah. Paddle. We had like two, two big kind of waves just come over the top of the boat, and we braced like twice in the whole thing, but not a big deal. So here, but the, the, 
the interesting thing is I've been looking for the other boat because I thought they're, they're going to be going basically coming from our left because they're fo- going to follow shore, if, assuming they're having trouble, which I assumed. They'd be following shore, so I'm watching for that, you know, boat coming from our left, coming straight across us and beating us to the line. And I was constantly, I had imagined some lights over there, you know, thinking, and then, of course, they're, they're just lights on shore, but but I, we never saw them to our left. I was going to say, yeah. so when you got to the finish, did you know you were, you, you had won? No, no. We had no idea, and John... I, I even... The, the crowd was cheering, but it sounded like a second-place cheer, because we were far away, so they, we couldn't quite hear what, what was going on, so I was like, oh, that's got to be a second-place cheer right there. Yeah, oh, man. Just the, the exuberance just didn't seem to be there, and watching the video after the fact of the finish we later found out that they weren't 100 percent sure it was us either uh, because the other team's spot tracker had been kind of coming in and out in and out which you kind of expect might happen if they're upside down and they thought it was probably us but they weren't 100 percent sure and anyway everybody was obviously tired uh but finally Finally, they said, you did it, you won, and uh, it was pretty great, pretty great feeling. That's that's pretty awesome. So you're coming in, and you're like, this is, in the words of John, this is a this is a second-place cheer, and you're like, ah, so close. And then you get there, and you're like, no, you guys actually won. Like, you're the champions. Yeah. It, it was unbelievable, and I really not able to – fully capture it until the second day until the next day and it was just so so wonderful i i know bill was up because he posted something to the page like right after you guys finished but i was like watching the live video and um not expecting you guys to come in first but i knew it was going to be close with your ski on the bay and i was like man i don't i don't know if they've got enough time you know andrew's team is so experienced like they they know what a rough bay is you know kind of like that and i looked and saw it was you guys and I was all excited and then I woke my husband Mike up <laughs> to tell him and he's like it's 2 30 in the morning like <laughs> why did you wake me up for this but I mean he follows but not as diehard as I am and I, I was like glad to see that Bill was awake because someone else is you know thousands of miles away <laughs> like celebrating the safari but <laughs> it was uh man I think of the ones I've watched like the last three or four have been super exciting but this this might take the cake um, I think it's been over 30 years since a tandem boat has won. Yeah, the I the what I heard was 1988 was the last time a tandem boat had won, and ironically, that's the year I was born. Like, how? Well, hopefully, we don't have to wait that long for a tandem to win <laughs> it again, man. Yeah, <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, the funny thing is the Asable is is actually a, a fairly significant, I would, I think, factor in this because we had several of the top racers for the Safari didn't race this year with more of a focus on the Asable. And uh, that, you never know for sure, but that, that could have tipped, tipped the balance. Yeah. Could have tipped the balance against us, but I, 
I think that what our basic idea was, we didn't think, I didn't think we would win this year, but I thought if we just kept a consistent tandem performance, you know, over several years, it was kind of inevitable that, you know, sooner or later it would happen. And that was kind of the dream a little bit in the back of our minds, going back all the way to 2016 and maybe sooner uh, or maybe further back. But I have, I haven't mentioned Tom Goins, my father-in-law who was so, you know, so supportive of, of us and uh, me in particular. And the uh, original winner of the tandem versus multi-man type race. Yeah. So Tom won, won against the multi-mans back, you know, 40 years ago uh, in the 80s. And he's won, he had won seven times. He was basically kind of Mr. Safari. He owned the race or ran the race and, and uh, kind of started a lot of Texas canoe racing. Uh, th- th- this is a guy that if you were going to create a Mount Rushmore of, of yeah, Texas right. paddle racing, yeah, yeah. It, it, Tom's number one on it, right? With, without a yeah. doubt. No doubt. No well, doubt. Him, and, him and Mr. Minor and, you know, yeah. 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 John Boogie. Yeah, probably. Gentlemen, yeah. I have to say that thank you very, very much for coming on tonight. It has been a fantastic show. I tell you what, until next time, everybody, keep paddling on. And congratulations, fellas, on the 2023 Texas Water Safari victory. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com, and don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling.